Big Rick Podcast. The best of the biggest interviews from Big Rick in the Morning on iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are heard. See more info now at onairwithrick.com. Good morning. All right, Congressman James Comer with our State of the State segment. Sir, I think it's been about six months since I've talked to you. It's been that long, uh, and and so much has changed in that six months, including this uh, coronavirus stuff. Can you tell us what's being done on Capitol Hill right now to combat this? I I know there was a lot of things that were passed last night in the Senate. Well, we've passed two coronavirus bills so far. The first one uh, was an $8 billion bill to focus on getting testing kits and the needed supplies uh, to combat it in case it became widespread. Uh, The second bill, which the president signed last night and the House passed uh, last Saturday morning, uh, provided relief for workers that are going to have to be off their jobs for a couple of weeks. It provided uh, access for small businesses to be able to tap into SBA loans and and things like that. Now, the president, uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, and uh, Senator McConnell are talking about a third bill, which would be a massive $1 trillion stimulus bill. So uh, you're very correct that the world has changed in the (laughs) not just the last six months, but the last four weeks. Yeah, the, the joke around the building is 2020 is just not being kind to us at all. Uh, it, it's like, can we rewind and go back to maybe 2019, which we thought was a bad year too? But it's it's definitely a totally different world than it was two weeks ago. It is. It's uh, it's pretty frustrating because I think the, if you look at the, I came in with Donald Trump in the first three and a half years, we we focused on the economy. We tried to roll back regulations. We we reduced taxes. We've done a lot of things that we felt like would uh, keep the economy strong and maybe even stronger. But uh, so many things that nobody could have foreseen popped up. The trade war with China popped up, and that was was a huge drag on the economy, especially manufacturing. And then um, this coronavirus just out of nowhere has has the potential to absolutely devastate the economy. You cannot shut the American economy down for two, three, four weeks and expect anything less than just uh, devastation. And I'm, I'm afraid that's, that's what's happening. I, I just hope that we can get back to work as soon as possible uh, and use some Use some common sense, and hopefully everyone's gotten the message that this is a serious virus, but we can go back to our normal lives and, and just take precautions and uh, adhere to the social distancing and, and do things like that. But uh, I know leaders on the state level and uh, federal level continue to say, well, we need to be quarantined and, to, and ride this out. I, I don't know how many more days the American economy can, can handle that. So uh, on on the lighter side of things, uh, you, you told me before we got started uh, today uh, that you are holed up yourself right now. I, I know you're probably obviously going to be doing some work and things of that nature, but what uh, what are your plans uh, to to pass the time while you social distance from everybody? Well, I get I'm getting a lot of calls. My field reps are getting a lot of calls uh, from concerned small business owners, as they should be. I, I just think I got a call from um, 
a lady in Monroe County yesterday mm. that uh, owns a beauty shop, and it's a she's done it for fifty years probably, and has a uh, a little building. She she has her own um, own little business there. No more than one or two people in there at a time, and she's required now to to shut down. And I I just don't think that's um, very fair. I understand a, a you know businesses that have you know many people in there at, at once, but I, I think that we're taking some of these regulations on on businesses shutting down uh, to the extreme. I think a lot of people that are making these decisions have never owned a business and don't understand or comprehend the the peril they're putting a lot of these small business owners in. So we've been taking a lot of calls. We're uh, looking up and trying to be a resource to small businesses to be able to prepare. If you've got employees and and uh, you know you you just saw on television where uh, either the the president or the governor is asking you to let your employees go home for two or three weeks. You're wondering, well, how am I, A, how am I going to pay these employees? And B, um, how's my business going to survive? So it's a very stressful time for a lot of business owners, and not just business owners, the people that work in the restaurant industry. We've got people that live paycheck to paycheck that have been sent home. It's a it's a very scary time right now for just about every American, and, and I understand that, and that's what I'm spending a lot of time on. Uh, listening, talking to people, uh, trying to be a resource, and, and trying to point them in the right direction for for help. You, now, you mentioned uh, businesses not, you know, c- continuing to pay employees, uh, but obviously they're not open for business right now. Is the stimulus package going to cover any of that for these employers that have to do this? Yeah, the the last bill that we passed, the one the president signed into law yesterday, covered. Two weeks of that okay. for most businesses, and uh, of course, you always get calls from from people that are, are concerned. They they don't apply, they don't fall into that category, and there's still a little uh, uncertainty about that. So, the third bill that Mnuchin is kind of taking the lead on, the Treasury Secretary will make sure that every business falls into that category, but. You know, I watched the press conference yesterday, just like everyone else, the, the presidential press conference. And uh, the director of CDC, he's very knowledgeable. I've had four or five briefings with him. He's testified to my oversight committee uh, at least twice in the last three weeks. And, you know, he, he's his heart's in the right place. He's doing everything he can to protect people. But, you know, we we have to we have to recognize that People can't go without work. Businesses can't go without uh, doing business, and it's just uh, it's just a situation where if you start trying to come up with legislation and, and money to compensate everybody for an extended period of time, it, it becomes more than you can bear. I mean, it's a, it's just a real unusual, extraordinary time in in. American history and certainly something that no one could have foreseen three months ago. Yeah. Um, you know, G- Governor Andy Bashir, 100 days in office as of yesterday. 
uh, and and he has been leading the charge with the with the, with the closing of businesses, the social distancing, and Kentucky nationally has kind of been recognized as a, as a very aggressive state in fighting coronavirus. What are your thoughts on the steps the governor is taking? I mean, you've kind of touched on that already, but what, what's your overall opinion of how things are being handled right now? Well, I'll say this: uh, Bashir looks mature and gubernatorial standing up there. I don't know that the last governor would have uh, treated it with the level of seriousness that it that it mm-hmm. required. So I'll give Bashir credit for that. Uh, but I do think there are some businesses that have been forced to shut down that probably weren't weren't necessary and i'm not taking away from the seriousness of this issue of this issue i have had Mm -hmm. uh, briefings uh, classified briefings on this that would make the hair on your neck stand up uh, on the worst case scenarios of of this outbreak but i think that Bashir's done a great job instilling upon everyone the seriousness of the issue he was taking it serious when there were you know, conservative commentators saying it was a hoax when the last governor was made a tweet implying it was a hoax and all that. Yeah. It's not a hoax. But, you know, we 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 have to – we can't just shut down everything. I mean, we, we, we have to still produce in this economy. People still have to go to work and get a paycheck. And I think that we've got to keep that in mind as, as we as we move forward now. A one-week, even possibly a two-week uh, shutdown is is you know could very well be warranted. But beyond that, we have to be mindful that the federal government can't cannot um, pay everyone for for months at a time to, to not work, and our economy may never recover if we completely turn the, the switch off. So, I think that. We have to be mindful and, and be looking at every potential scenario where people can still work. So, uh, but I do give him credit. Uh, he looks he looks mature. He's been uh, he's done very well in the in the press conferences, and he's made everyone realize that that this is a, a serious serious um, scenario we're dealing with here. So uh, the Child Nutrition Response Act was signed into law. I, I believe maybe that was yesterday. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I'm real excited about that. That's probably one of the most significant things I've accomplished since I've been in Congress for for the last three years. Uh, I filed legislation two weeks ago when it became apparent that the schools were gonna were gonna shut down and. Being from a rural area, growing up in, in public schools, my kids go to public schools. I understand that there are a lot of children in Kentucky, and for that matter, all across America, that the only warm meal they get, unfortunately, is during school. And most kids eat breakfast and lunch at school. So I knew if if school shut down abruptly for an extended period of time, and the parents are still having to work or many times you have broken homes or you have children that parents for whatever reason don't, don't have food for them to eat it at, at home. We should be able to allow the schools to continue to offer the school meal 
and obviously that takes money. It takes uh, legislation to grant a waiver to the schools to continue to do that. But I know all the food service directors. I worked with them when I was commissioner of agriculture, and it's something they wanted to do in Kentucky. I worked with um, Representative Bonamucci from Oregon, and, and she said Oregon's the same way. So we found legislation to allow the school um, breakfast and lunches to continue through the coronavirus school shutdown, and that passed. The president signed that into law last night, and uh, you know I've seen reports in Cumberland County and Monroe County. The superintendents have been posting how many students have been coming to take advantage of the the, the food. Uh, many school districts around the state or the, the school bus drivers are delivering meals to, to needy children and things like that. So I think that's been a huge success and that's something that uh, was badly needed that I think uh, will benefit a whole lot more Kentuckians than what m- many people may realize. Well, congratulations on passing that legislation. I mean, you've gotten praise from a lot of school systems in the states in response to this. Um, I want to ask you another question, and, and I know this is pure speculation, uh, but I have to ask, um, you know, you've talked about how our economy can't be shut down for very long. In regards to the school system, I know a lot of them are moving to the online classes for for the foreseeable future. Do, do you anticipate that being for the remainder of the year and uh, school buildings will be shut down for the remainder of the year? Has that been talked about yet? It's starting to be talked about at uh, the press conference yesterday. Uh, we're still learning about this virus. And, you know, the, the countries where it's worse, in China and, and Italy, for example, China, they've never been forthcoming with this coronavirus from, from day one. For example, our intelligence tells us that the death rate in China significantly higher than what they reported. Hmm. Uh, we have American companies that do business in little villages in all across China. And there are Americans there that, that work in those businesses and oversee those businesses. And, and they say that, you know, these, these, some of these towns have had thousands and thousands of people die over a two week period. And they never reported that, you know, they may say, Oh, we had, 200 die in China today. Well, there are people that are in these different towns that say, oh, we had 500 die overnight in this town. So uh, it's just another example. You can't, you can't trust China on very much these days. Then in Italy, they've just been all hands on deck trying to, trying to survive. They've had so many deaths and, and the, so many people have the virus now. We haven't been able to uh, get accurate information on who's most affected. So the general consensus was from uh, from the mortality rate that senior citizens had the highest mortality rate, and younger people really weren't affected that badly by it. They could they were more uh, carriers than uh, potential uh, victims of the of the disease. Mm-hmm. But what data's coming out now saying that. Uh, it can do lasting da- even if it doesn't kill young people. It can uh, do lasting damage to their lungs, and that's really changed the dynamics of when school may open back up again. So it's um, you know we're obviously going to do what's best for for children's safety. That's uh, 
I'd say it's a more likely scenario today than it was yesterday that school doesn't open back up at all until the end of the school year. I hope that's not right, but we're going to do everything we can to to protect to protect the children. And I know that the Center for Disease Control is doing everything they can. Anytime there's someone that tests positive, they're they're trying to collect data to figure out um, obviously who's most at risk. And everyone's mindful of the fact that we need to get these kids back in back in school as, as soon as possible. But we don't want to do anything to to put their lives in in danger. Yeah. Uh, Congressman James Comer on the hotline with me. You, you mentioned that uh, China has not been very forthcoming uh, with their numbers and their data. Uh, you know, the president has been catching some flack. And I know you work closely with President Trump uh, right. about calling it a Chinese virus. Some have called it racist. Uh, I, it, what, what, what are your thoughts on the way he's uh, presenting this to the American public right now? Well, it started in China. And as far as I'm concerned, he's right to call it the the Chinese coronavirus. Uh, I will tell you, we're all frustrated with China. I mean, first of all, they're they're not; they've never been forthcoming about the number of deaths they've had in this country. Uh, number in their country. Number two, as we realize that we probably could run short on. Uh, hospital gowns, masks, protective gear for the first responders and for your medical professionals, it became clear that um, all of these supplies or the majority of these supplies were made in China. That's very frustrating for me to to learn. I I don't guess I should have been surprised. But then some of the vaccines and some of the testing kits are only made in China. And, And, you know, this we've been fighting China for for two years now in a, in a trade war just to try to put American workers on a level playing field. But we need to completely bypass China when it comes to necessary medical equipment and, and necessary medicines. We, we can't depend on China in, in situations like this. We, they've proven that with, with, the, uh, with how the coronavirus information has been shared with us. So we we have to use this as a as an opportunity to immediately pivot and have these products made in the United States, and we need to have a um, a, st- a strategic reserve of gowns and caps and things like that. Because hospitals are are like most businesses now. You know, n- very few businesses carry an inventory over 24 hours. Everything's delivered mm-hmm. as it's needed in factories and things like that. Hospitals are the same way. They have uh, two, maybe three days worth of gloves, masks, and things like that. If you have an outbreak and things like that, and you use three days supply in, in 12 hours, then, you know, you obviously run into supply challenges. And that's, that's something that we realized it hasn't become a factor anywhere, but we certainly need to have a strategic reserve of medical supplies in, in cases of pandemic outbreak. So I think that, unfortunately, this has been a learning experience for the future, but um, it's going to be another type of industry that we're going to try to 
take from China and bring back to the United States. I would say, and I don't know if this is fair to say, but I would say uh, the biggest lesson we're going to learn from this is, is it better to be overprepared or is it better to be underprepared? Right. What side would you pick? (laughs) Well, again, I understand how serious this, this coronavirus is. And I'm not taking it lightly. I'll, I'll put it like that. But at the same time, we, we can't just expect to, to turn the switch off and every worker in America go home and every business in America shut down. I mean, we, we, we have to really put a lot of thought into, okay, which businesses, like I mentioned, the, the beauty salon, that's one of a hundred thousand which can remain open and which can uh you know continue to to function and continue to put food on the table of of american workers so i feel like um this will be a learning experience you know i'm i strongly support the social distancing i think that's common sense i strongly support putting the absolute highest lockdown on hospitals nursing homes assisted living facilities on homes of uh, the elderly, because there's no question the mortality rate among the elderly is is very very high with coronavirus. But uh, you know we still have to be mindful of the fact that we, we we have to keep going as as a society. And I feel like um, you know there, there may be instances where where government has overstepped its its bounds. But at the same time, you, you have a lot of people that for for a couple of weeks there weren't taking this very seriously at all. And were, you know, I'm on Facebook and, I, and they were saying this is, you know, a, a hoax. And, all that. and it's not a hoax. But at the same time, we, we have to figure out a way to to do everything we can to limit the spread of the disease and to fight the disease. But at the same time, uh, con- continue as a society to. To function, so it's uh, it's just a tough time, and you know history will history will say whether we did the right thing or, or not on this. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't spread. Hopefully, there will remain very very few cases in Kentucky. But you know the again, the experts say that it's eventually going to spread. And my my concern is, did we do all this too soon? Should we have waited a week? Uh, did we not do it soon enough? You know, I, I don't know, and I don't think anybody can answer that question. Uh, finally, uh, I'd like to ask you about the, uh, the the stimulus package in regards to everyday Americans. There's been talk of uh, them sending out money to Americans uh, as soon as April. Uh, do you have any new details on what that's going to be and what the parameters are? I know that there's going to be a check sent to Americans, a stimulus check to try to compensate for lost time i don't know what that check will be i don't know if it's uh if you're married if it's husband and wife or it's one per household that's still being debated um there's going to be talk of bailouts you know that's a term that makes my stomach turn mm-hmm. um, but you know as someone who flies a lot I can tell you Saturday when I flew home from Washington, I changed planes in Atlanta. And if you've ever changed planes in Atlanta, it's a miserable experience. <laughs> yes. You know, you always land in one terminal and you, you have to, your connector flights and 
the the terminal a mile down the down the path. We landed in Atlanta on a flight that was about twenty percent full, and I'm, I kid you not, half the flight was members of Congress going home. Wow! So nobody was on the flight. Yeah. And we landed in Atlanta on a Delta flight. I walked from Terminal A to Terminal D. I might have met a hundred people in there. Wow! And fifty of them had masks on. It was just like a, a scene of a movie in the aftermath or something. I mean, there was no one there. It's only gotten worse. You know, the TV showing pictures of people coming from out of the country into the United States being tested, and they're showing these long lines. That's pretty much everybody that's at the airport. Yeah. And if we have to have air service, we have to have um, travel for business and for, for, for life. So, you know, certainly the airline industry's help for them is something that's going to be discussed. Um, I'm not in favor of bailing out the cruise ship industry or, or non-essential thing. You know, the airline industry is essential. Um, but I'll just have to see what the package is. I, the, 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 the consequences of shutting everything down is the fact that we're going to have to go and spend more tax dollars and do more deficit spending to try to keep them, keep them afloat. Right. And that's why I think that a lot of the people making the decisions on shutting everything down, they're, they're right to put the interests of the health interests of America first and foremost. But we also, in the back of our mind, have to recognize the fact that this is this is um, this is going to come at a great cost to the taxpayers. And it's um, it's it's we're in a place that I don't think any member of Congress, whether you're Bernie Sanders or Ted Cruz, I don't think any member of Congress wants to be. But we're going to deal with it. And hopefully we'll get back on our feet and get the life will return to normal as soon as possible. One follow-up question, and well, it's not really a question, uh, but it's speculation on my part specifically. But, you know, I, I felt like when you saw the articles come out earlier this week uh, about the airline industry possibly having to be bailed out, do you think the thinking was, and again, speculation, total speculation, was we can't bail these companies out without bailing out the everyday American too, because the last time we did this 10 years ago, right. 12 years ago, it didn't go so well. No, it's never gone well. I, I've, I'm a student of history and there's never been a good happy ending whenever there was a, a bailout. For example, the, the banks and the automotive companies uh, have been bailed out on two occasions. Uh, you know, they always, when they get back on their feet, they pay excessive salaries to their CEOs and they uh, use that money when they get back on their feet for stock buyback. That only benefits wealthy shareholders. So this, from my standpoint, will be focused on the workers, the workers, you know, the uh, essential industry industries and the workers, uh, the bill we passed that the president signed into law focused squarely on workers and small businesses, and there were, you know, if if there's a bailout on on industries, necessary industries that are affected by this, I think you're going to see so many rules in there to where they can't do stock buybacks. The CEOs uh, can't make more than a certain percentage more than the 
the average hourly workers. It may get to the point to where the industries might say, you know what, we'll just pass on this bailout because uh, when the government steps in and invests in a business, like, for example, when Kentucky, when Bevin was governor in Kentucky, put $15 million into that Brady Industries aluminum plant in Greenham County, which will never mm-hmm. make any aluminum, um, it became part of the state. And normally it's not, you know, if you own a private business, it's nobody's business who the shareholders are or the state or where that business is spending money. But if the state owns the business, then it's the taxpayer's right to know who the shareholders are and where they're spending their money. That's why I think most businesses, if they, if, if they have rules to where they're required for transparency, they can't overpay their top executives, I think a lot of those businesses will be, you know what, if we can make it without this bailout, we're just going to do it. And that's what I'm going to push for is to make sure that if, if there's any company that receives assistance, uh, major corporation, major publicly traded company, then they're going to have to be very transparent and very accountable, and they're not going to be able to do what's been done in the past to where the CEOs uh, get rich and the average everyday worker, you know, takes it, takes it on the chin. So, yeah. um, a lot of those businesses may not want to have to go through all that. Yeah. And, and again, Hopefully that's, they won't. that's pure speculation on my cart, uh, my part. No, you're right. It. But uh, I mean, that's the feeling I got. It's just intuition. Yeah. Like, man, this is not going to go well if they don't help everyday Americans. Cause I, I remember commenting I myself like, well, when they're going to bail me out, you know? <laughs> right. No, so, I, I agree a hundred percent. I yeah. share your distrust. Uh, I've studied history like you have, and these never end well for A, the taxpayer, and B, the mm-hmm. the average worker. Okay. Congressman James Comer on our hotline right now. Uh, I know we've gone a little longer than we normally do. We're right at 30 minutes right now. I know you've got to get busy working for uh, South Central Kentucky and, and your, your district, but I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate you giving us some insight, and uh, uh, quite frankly, I felt like you've been very candid and honest about what's going on, and we really appreciate that. Well, thank you for having me on the show, Rick. All right, we'll talk to you at some point again soon. Congressman James Comer, have yourself a good day. Stay safe, and God bless. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Big Rick Podcast. Remember to subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are heard. See exclusive video interviews and content now with the Big Rick in the Morning YouTube channel. Subscribe now at onairwithrick.com.